Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Nick Fine from Wild Oats coming up in a little bit, but first I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is a beverage consultant who has created the cocktail programs for a number of Houston bar and restaurants and is now selling craft spirits. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm so glad to hear that. I, you're not the market manager anymore. You got a promotion and I don't know what your new title is. That's why I stumbled. So my new position is I'm the national ambassador for liquid alchemist craft syrups. Wow. So fancy. So fancy. Everybody, drink all of the syrups. <laughs> yeah, pomegranate, mimosas for everybody. <laughs> for everyone. Ridiculous. All right, let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Paul and Doris Miller, the owners of the Union Kitchen and Jack's Grill, announced that they are opened in a southern Italian restaurant called Passarella in Cyprus next to the Union Kitchen location, which is at the boardwalk at Town Lake. Linda, I mean, you know, we know the Union Kitchen. It's an eclectic menu. It's got a, a pretty big wine list. They always give really good service. How do you feel about them getting into the Southern Italian seafood or rather Italian seafood, not Southern, not Southern Italian, Italian seafood business. <laughs> I know I'm all over the place today. I, I will focus. Come on, get it together, bro. <laughs> um, no, I think Cyprus is starting to starting to jump up with a couple of spots. I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I always get people DM me like, I think I, I, I had a follower ask me, you know, can you please come out here and open up a good Mexican restaurant out here? <laughs> And I'm like, what do you mean? There's Mexican everywhere. Um, no, I think I think that they do really well in in any location that they've 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 ever opened. I think that what people really need out there are good cocktails. So hopefully they'll end up getting somebody to do their do their program. I think nowadays you really do need to have someone that's going to curate things correctly, set up things correctly, so that they can be done. Because I think you know it used to be you know ten or fifteen years ago bars used to be, um, bars used to be such a kind of like an afterthought. And I think they can be, I mean, they can really be like a, a vibrant part of like, kind of like the community. I know that I've been out, uh, just as of late out to daily gather and a couple of other spots. And those, those spots are really starting to like put a lot of muscle behind their, their programming. So, um, hopefully they, they get something, you know, up and running soon. Well, yeah, I will say I went to the UD Kitchen location in Katy last year, which mm-hmm. is when Paul first sort of talked to me about his plans for this restaurant. And one of the things he was excited about it at the UD Kitchen is that there's a new bar team and they've sort of simplified the cocktails. Yeah. You know, better spirits, fresh juices, all that stuff. And they've seen a real uptick in sales from doing that. Yeah. I mean... Who knew 12 years ago, fresh juices at a little cocktail bar in, at 1424 Westheimer, like yeah, who in knew? The, in the daiquiri factory? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That 
the little cocktail bar, you know, is, is like has changed the way that people think about cocktails, you know, and sweet and sour mix isn't, isn't the, uh, isn't the norm anymore. Thank goodness. Yeah. And they've, and they've got a good culinary team behind this. I mean, you know, uh, James Lindy has been with the Union Kitchen for a long time. He's kind of overseen it. And then Edward Roberts is going to lead the kitchen. He, I, I encountered him at Beavers briefly. He's also worked at Tony's and Mazraf's and in Galveston. So, you know, I, I don't quite know what a Italian seafood menu is going to look like in terms of the specific dishes, but it seems like they've got a, a good team and, and, a, and a good conception. And, you know, I really admittedly, I'm not an expert in the, the restaurants that are around Cyprus, but yeah. you know, my sense is that it's, it's mostly chains uh, just from talking to people who live out there and that, you know, a locally owned option that's sort of responsive to the community is going to be very welcome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's move on to topic number two, Jackson street barbecue downtown closed after eight years. Uh, it's a restaurant that, that had a brief kind of moment in the sun because it had a lot of, it had a lot of star power behind it. It was uh, Bill Floyd and Brian Caswell, who at the time were partners in Reef and El Real. And of course they've since parted ways from a business perspective. Uh, and they recruited Gar- Greg Gatlin of Gatlin's Barbecue to, to help them get that thing off the ground. And it was right next to the Minute Maid Park. So it had proximity to the ballpark. There wasn't a lot of barbecue downtown beyond i think that uh pappas barbecue location next to the pierce elevated and so it you know it had its kind of moment but you know obviously uh the the speculation at least in the chronicle was that uh jim crane the guy who owns the astros owns that property and that he may just he may just tear that building down and use it for parking but i thought we should we should pay our respects to jackson street barbecue do you have any particular memories of of dining there I mean, every time I went there, I was like, I'll just have a Miller Lite, please. (laughs) Cold-blooded. Cold-blooded. No, I mean, look, I love everyone that's gone and tried to do anything in downtown, but star-powered anything in downtown almost never works sorry it's kind of the thing like ooh, star power downtown it's the new whatever 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 you know the new steakhouse the new what whatever it always is like i just feel like it never really sticks houstonians first off we're finick finicky we like our our neighborhood restaurants we like to be able to get get in and out and like trying to get in and out of downtown to go eat eat or drink when you're not going to a a game then i mean it just doesn't make any sense like the only people that are like kind of pillars of a community are like irmas or or even like tree beards and they just moved out of downtown so i don't know i mean i can't remember really eating there so the only the only memory I have, like when it very first opened, uh-huh. they were doing barbecue sandwiches made with these gigantic, like super buttery biscuits. Mm-hmm. So it was brisket on a biscuit, which is both fun to say and fun to eat. Okay. And so that's my, but, but obviously, you know, as more and more 
good quality barbecue restaurants opened. You know, Jackson Street fell off my radar first because of the pit room and then because of oh yeah, pit room. Pinkertons and Gatlin's and Truth and now most recently J Bar M, which is, you know, just on the other side of the stadium, basically from from Jackson Street. So yeah, it's just, you know, it 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 had fallen off my radar. I, I don't think most people will will notice that it's gone, but it, it did have a moment when it was responsible for bringing good quality barbecue to downtown. And so I just wanted to acknowledge its closure. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then finally, topic number three, Show Hot Pot, L-I-U-Y-I-S-H-O-U, easy for me to say, probably saying it wrong, uh, is a new restaurant in Chinatown with over a thousand locations worldwide and 18 in North America. And you know, I've, I've watched, uh, I looked at the menu. Uh, Mike Chen has been there. You know, you can, you can Google his YouTube from visiting the location in Queens. Let me just, let me just put it to you like this. People get really excited about hot pot. You know, it's, it's about to not be hot pot weather because the weather's going to get warm and that's just kind of an odd, it's kind of an odd time to eat hot soup in, in the Houston summer, but. Don't talk to me like that. I eat hot, <laughs> I eat hot soup all the fucking time. <laughs> all right. So let me just ask you, this is this is like $26 for all you can eat. I think it's 28 on the weekends and holidays. Plus some you can you can spend a little extra for different bonus items, yada yada. But but let me just ask you, what what are the essential components of a hot pot experience or what do you what do you look for in figuring out better or worse when you you go to eat hot pot? Broth selections and ingredients. I think that's the biggest difference. That's the biggest between a, a good hot pot and a great hot pot. It's uh, different cuts of meat and being able to see things beforehand. So I, I love hot pot. It's one of my favorite things in Chinatown. There's, you know, little sheep. There's a couple of different, like, Fufu does it. You know, there's, a, there's so many places to do hot pot in addition to the other things that they have. So I think fucking bring it. Chinatown, you can put another 40 restaurants, bring it. We'll fill them up. We're always, like people that go to Chinatown all the time, like it's welcome, please come. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, it was like the Shabu Shabu that opened up a couple of years ago. They were like, you know, we, we saw that open up and that's kind of, that's a hot, it's a hot pot place. And remember when they opened up, they were like, oh my God, $30. Guess what? Place packed full. Yeah. I, I feel like any all you can eat concept that's yeah that in that kind of 25 to $30 range, that's kind of a sweet spot because it means a oh, lot yeah. of big selection of meat, seafood, vegetables, the quality will be respectable. Yeah. And, you know, and then if you want like a more premium experience, uh, the one that comes to mind for me is Heidi Lau, which is uh, out in, out in Katie Asia town that that has like Wagyu beef and some of that stuff, if you really want to pay up. But I mean, I was looking at this menu. It's pretty crazy. I mean, you, you know, they have, you know, beef and lamb, all these different cuts. They have, goose liver and pig brain and mm. you know mussels and crab stick and just look if you if you can't find something to boil at, at the hot pot at uh leah show then you're doing it wrong in my opinion you gotta get out of here <laughs> <laughs> uh so will you go 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like hot pot, sign me up, fam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then we will we will schedule our next visit to Chinatown. Okay, Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is sponsored by Green Street. Covering four city blocks in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street offers access to dining, entertainment, and more. Green Street is an ideal location for dinner and drinks before or after attending a game downtown at one of its four restaurants, Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or M&S Seafood. Its proximity to Discovery Green also means Green Street is an ideal stop as part of a larger crawl through downtown's many attractions. Over the years, I've seen any number of concerts at House of Blues, but Green Street has other entertainment options as well. Pete's Dueling Piano Bar offers an energetic atmosphere for grabbing a drink, and friends can gather for a night of friendly competition at 810 Billiards and Bowling. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of restaurant, bar, and entertainment destinations. Linda, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Loro. This is the Asian-inspired smokehouse from Tyson Cole of Uchi fame and Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue. They recently opened in the Heights on 11th Street in a converted church. I had dinner there last week. Let Let me just start this by saying it's really pretty. Like they did a really nice job of bringing light into the, you know, you, the dining room is the old sanctuary. It's gorgeous. So they added a ton of windows and these great looking hanging lights. They turned the ground into like a, a beer garden style waiting area. And then a, a patio with a bunch of tables on it. It is, it's a really pretty design and, and for being, you know, it's big, it's open, it's area. It feels really comfortable. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Um, I popped in there and it's, I mean, it is, it is, fantastic looking i mean the the loro in in austin is 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 gorgeous as well it's like big nice airy you know great great open space so um they definitely uh they definitely know what they're doing as far as design is concerned and then as you said you've been to the one in austin so what are some of your your favorite dishes on the menu like what have you enjoyed in the past i mean i just i love all their noodle dishes like anything that they that they end up deciding to do just they they do it very well i think we do need to talk a little bit about your experience because i actually didn't get to go with you and so i think we should kind of talk a little bit about that because i think it has to be kind of said about single diners i mean i i want to talk about it just because they are the most, uh, and I said this to you a couple of days ago, I think single diners are the most volatile, <laughs> volatile people, because I know I'm a single diner by myself all the time. I travel a lot right. for well, work. Well, let's, let's not get too off the rails, right? Okay. But, but because I arrived by myself and then I was joined by a friend after I had ordered. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, Loro is an ideal solo dining place because they have a bar where people can sit, they have, and it's counter service. So you order for yourself and then they bring you the food. And so in, the, in some sense, it's like, 
it's pretty convenient. But the thing that I, I know what you're asking me about, mm-hmm. and the thing about it is that give me like the the Hopdotty model or the Tatsuya model. Like I don't mind standing in line to make my initial order of food. Mm-hmm. But but what I don't like is having to get up and get back in that same line for drinks. Like if I want a second drink or if I want a dessert or something. And Lauro, it's it's very, you know, you you gotta get up, you, you gotta get up and get back in line. And, yeah. And and so there's not there's not really any interaction with the servers they you know they're i mean they're friendly enough and they'll tell you what what they're dropping off but there's no there's no additional service other than they run the food out to you they're they're yeah well and i think and i think and i you know i think that a couple of years ago you and i were talking about counter service you know and i and we kept we kept saying you know i kept saying like i love the model i love the model that polly's has like some of our most our most beloved restaurants in Houston, Pondicherry, you know, there's a lot of great restaurants that have that same model, but it is a little tricky when you want a second drink or you need another sauce or, you know what? I want another like Brussels sprouts. I think that that, that model sometimes ends up leaving a little bit. I mean, I, I personally think it's, you're leaving money on the table. You know what I mean? Where's the two by check? Right. I mean, because essentially what, what's going to happen is if I, if I look at the line and I see, I see that it's long and I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of want a second cocktail, but I don't want to stand here for five or 10 minutes. I'm probably yeah. just going to get a water, you know, and that'll be that. Yeah. 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 But I do, I do want to talk about some of the specific dishes. Is there anything you particularly enjoyed in your visits to Laurel? Uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, just like the, like the Szechuan noodle with sesame. I can't remember what it's called. Um, um, and that's kind of like, kind of what I'm like pinging. Cause that's really, I only had just a couple of little things, but what did you like? Yeah. I mean, they do some stuff that, that's pretty tasty. I mean, you know, I've been, I've now been a couple of times, you know, I had the, the crunchy corn, crunchy corn fritters again, easy for me to say, you know, I had a, a, a snap pea and toasted coconut salad with a grilled pineapple vinaigrette. I mean, the nice thing is they're, their vegetable cooking is really respectful. Oh, yeah. Right. Like their yeah. their version of a lote that they call Texas sweet corn. It's like they leave some texture in the corn. They're not cooked to mush. Same with the snap peas in that salad. You know, same with the sweet corn fritters. So I, I think that's really appealing. And then I've tried a few of the meat dishes. I mean, I had a, a Malaysian chicken curry rice bowl that I liked quite a bit. I had the smoked bavette plate. Uh, with shishito salsa verde that I, I think is probably my favorite thing I've had there. I think there's a lot to sort of recommend on the menu. The only thing that really kind of missed for me is that they do brisket, you know, at dinner time, and it's like Aaron Franklin, but it's not really, right? Because it's not cooked on the same style of smoker. It's not quite the same seasoning. And and I I just decided, like, I, I want fattier more aggressively seasoned brisket. Like if I, if I want brisket, I should just go to a, a real barbecue restaurant and, and yeah. I'll leave, I'll leave Lauro for again, like that smoked bavette or, you know, I'm really curious to try their um, oak smoked salmon. That looks really good. There's just, there's, there's other things I want to try. Oh, I will say the cheeseburger is excellent. 
topped with a red onion brisket jam. It's just like this gooey, messy, uh, very delicious cheeseburger. Uh, and that is served. That is served during lunch. And, and then the, the one other thought about Loro is they do happy hour from two to six. And so it's like $5 frozen slushies. They have all these dishes that are only available on the happy hour menu that are under 10 bucks. Like we had a really tasty piece of fried fish and some other things. And so I will say for, for people who either want a, a really early dinner or like a super late lunch, like sneaking in there for happy hour when it's less crowded and that mitigates the issues with waiting in line because there just aren't as many people there helps a lot. And it, it also mitigates Ooh. the challenging. Duly, yeah. Duly noted. All right. I'm constantly looking for places to have. I, I always end up going way past lunch like all the time. Like I classically, I'm like, I'm always the jerk that comes in at like two 30 and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I'm kind of hungry and I'm kind of snacky and I'm kind of drinky. So like, this is the perfect thing, especially that I'm running around in, in the Heights so much. Yeah. This is definitely right in your wheelhouse. Yep. And then I want to wrap this up by talking about Tatamo, uh, chef Emmanuel Chavez's corn obsessed Mexican restaurant. He just relocated. He was uh, operating out of a, a commercial kitchen space in Montrose. Now he has his own dedicated space in Northwest Houston, right near the Carbach Brewery. Linda, you and I went to Tatamo for brunch. What did you think? Mm, first off, I don't like the fact that they call it brunch. I think if Why they not? just opened it, uh, if they just opened for lunch and called it, it is just lunch. Cool. I implicitly, when I think of brunch, give me an egg, any egg. And that's my only beef. It's literally my only beef. I just, I'm a, I'm a brunch person. So I expect like, oh yes, an egg. But if you can get past the fact that it's not a brunch spot and that it is first off, wonderful, wonderfully seasoned food, delicate flavors. We had some amazing pancakes and they had, I think they had four or five items. Is that correct? I think that's right. Yep. Yeah. Four or five items. They're all like corn-based vehicles of deliciousness. Wonderful. I loved, I like the, the space. It's very quaint. I think I'm really excited to see what their tasting menu looks like. Um, cause that's the kind of style of, that's the kind of style that dining really is, is tasting menu. It's not like this overtly big, unctuous, like American palette thing that happens, you know, which I think is completely different than other places. And I, and I really, I really appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was very good. What did you think? No, I agree with you. I mean, I, we had a, a quesadilla with. Uh, barbacoa we had a sopa we had uh, another oh and yeah like you said those masa pancakes with the uh, the apples and the sesame seeds uh, yeah it was a very uh, delicious it was a very delicious brunch and and for me doubly so because you know I I'm not an egg eater so it really doesn't I know <laughs> really doesn't bother me at all that they're not doing you know chilaquiles or huevos diversada or or whatever other kind of classic you know, Mexican egg-based breakfast dishes you can yeah. And and I agree with you. I mean, I've I've seen 
some pictures from the tasting menu. They just started doing it last weekend and it looks fantastic. And, and I went to one of Emmanuel's tastings before they moved to this new location and it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's pretty reasonable. I think it's like 75 bucks for seven or eight courses. I mean, it's, uh, it's very thoughtful. I, I mean, I, I think he's a pretty talented guy and, and I think, you know, this is, this is maybe a kind of obscure location for people. It's not, I mean, it's very close to the Heights. It's very close to spring branch. It is really, it's in a weird location. It's in a weird location. It's a little weird location. Like I was like, where is it? Where am I going? I don't know what's happening. I was like, am I going to get murdered over here? (laughs) No, you are not going to get murdered. It's right next to Carbock. People know where Carbock is. I Hundreds know. of people go to Carbock on nice days. I know. For events and stuff. But you know, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I am one of those people that's like, oh my God, it's outside the loop. I'm, I'm shriveling, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, any, any other final thoughts about uh, Tatima? No, no, they're, t- I think um, I really want to see their tasting menu. Um, super thoughtful. Yeah. All right. Then I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Linda, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. And I will be right back with Nick Fine. I am joined this week by the culinary director for Underbelly Hospitality, and the chef partner of Wild Oats, a new restaurant at the Houston Farmer's Market. Nick Fine, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing amazing, Eric. Glad to be here. It's an, it's an honor. I really am pumped to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I mean, it, it occurs to me that I think the last time you were on the show was like when one-fifth was kind of making the transition from uh, steak to romance languages. So that's been not quite five years. It's, for me, it's been about four years and two other kids for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think we did like the the like getting to know you career part because you were here with Chris and there was so much to talk about. So so can we just kind of start at the beginning? Like, how did you become interested in being a professional chef? So I think I have a pretty cool origin story. I uh, I wanted I was going to Texas Tech University. I wanted to be a park ranger. So in between my junior and senior year, I drove my 1988 740 GLE Volvo with sheepskin cover seats to Yellowstone National Park. And I was going to be a park ranger. And uh, I got up there and went to the Forest Service and to the one of the ranger stations. And I was like, hey, guys, just interested to see how I can get started up here. And they kind of laughed at me and said, you know, this is like the most sought after job for a park ranger. Um, there's no jobs for you. And I was like, but I drove all the way here. What do I do? And uh, so they, they sent me and I started working for the park, like a company that had hotels in the park service. And I was up there late. So they put me in the dish station and I was washing dishes in Grant Village, which is like the southernmost part of Yellowstone National Park. And just five, six hours a day washing dishes and then I prepped the other couple hours and it was cool. It was really neat. And then, uh, one day, um, four or five state troopers 
came into the restaurant and were looking for one of the cooks, called him out by the name. He raised his hand and said, I'm out of here, boys. I'm going to prison. And uh, he had, we looked it up. He had murdered his wife and her lover and had just gone to the national park system just to wait it out till he got caught. And the chef came running around, freaking out. was like, does anybody know how to cook? And I raised my hand, anything to get out of those wet underwear and, and said, heck yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's start cooking. And so that was my first cooking job was started because of a murder. That you're right. That's an incredible origin story. Yeah. Then I moved back to Texas tech decided I didn't, I, I fell in love with kind of, I played sports all my life growing up. So I felt like cooking was really close to a sport. It's really high adrenaline. You're, it's all about being with your teammates and, and how you bond with each other and how you work together really makes it, it flow into a great kitchen. So I fell in love with it immediately. Um, ended up going to Scottsdale Culinary Institute um, and worked at the Phoenician, which is a five-star, five-diamond resort out there. I did breakfast prep for the Phoenician, um, which was crazy. So I'd go to work at four in the morning. I'd prep all day until noon. And then I started class at three in the morning and it would go from three to midnight. Um, so I just cat for like a year and a half while I was going to school. I would just, uh, I would just be doing three hour naps here and there doing prep to school. And, uh, then went to my externship Man, I've got a weird story externship at, uh, the Moronga casino in Palm Springs, just outside of Palm Springs. And, Ended up one day showing up to work while I was doing my externship and the, um, the group who actually ran the property, um, kicked the restaurant I was working at out of the building. So all of our equipment was sitting down in the parking lot <laughs> while I was doing my externship. So I got in my same, that same 740 GLE Volvo got in that thing and drove it back to Texas. And I was just like, I'm going to go to Texas. Um, and that's how the wild notes things came about us. So I've always ended up, up back home, but was driving back and, uh, would stop at, uh, libraries and look up best restaurants in Texas and ended up finding the mansion on Turtle Creek in Dallas, Texas, and finished my externship there, spent a couple of years there, um, with Dean Faring, which was awesome. Um, and then moved to New York worked for i think everybody has a guy that they call chef in this business um and my chef is the guy i work for in new york um there's this guy named scott Bryan. he's a legend in the book kitchen confidential he's the second to last chapter it's called life of brian and uh he is he's a uh, he's an amazing chef um really taught me a lot he's who made me a chef um and then went to uh quince in san francisco then moved back home and worked at the Mantra and Turtle. I'm sorry. Then worked at Brennan's in Houston. Um, and that's where I first met Randy Evans and Chris Shepard was when I was a sous chef um, for Randy at Brennan's. And then Hurricane Ike hit um, and kind of scattered um, everybody. And I moved to Colorado then. Thought I'd have one, one good ski season in, in Aspen, Colorado. And I ended up staying in Colorado for almost nine years. Um, worked at uh, a place called uh, the Little Nell and was the catering chef there. I opened up a um, a couple places in uh, in Aspen, 
And then one of my best friends, um, and again, a really, really amazing chef, opened up uh, some restaurants in Boulder, Colorado, called Oak at 14th. And uh, now he has Brider um, and uh, Acorn at the time. And so I, I kind of went up there and, and ran uh, Oak for a little bit and then moved back home. Opened up uh, State of Grace with Bobby uh, Matos and for the um, Ford Fry restaurant group. And then one fifth. So I guess let's, let's sort of talk about your time with Chris. Cause you know, like I said, it's been about five years now. Yeah. What, what's it kind of been like working with him, you know, cause you've been around for all of these, you know, all of these different versions of one fifth plus George James plus UB preserve. I mean, what, what's that experience been like for you? It's been, it's been a very dynamic time. It's been amazing. So, First of all, I think it goes without saying a lot of people know this, but we're gonna, working with Chris has changed who I am and who I want to be. Um, Chris is just an amazing human being. He's He treats people the way that you want to be treated, and it, it's changed how I want to be a chef, right, like and how I want to be a person. Um, so I think the biggest thing over the last six years is that I've not only grown as as a chef, but grown as a person is, is kind of the biggest thing I've gotten out of the last six years. Um, and man, <laughs> I've changed one personally. I, I started off one fifth and we, I had no kids. Now I have three kids. So over the last couple of years, I've had to change a lot, both personally and professionally. And I think the biggest change that we've seen over the last couple of years, um, honestly has been, we just brought on, um, a new director and her name's Nina Quincy. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you find out what you didn't know. <laughs> and we're finding out a lot of stuff. Like I'm learning way more about business in the last couple months than I really ever thought about. I, we, I think Chris and I would in all honesty say we ran kitchens and we love running kitchens and they're my favorite place. It's my comfort zone. I love being in them. I love being around the team and um, it's comfortable but running a business is something really, really different. And for us over these last, I'd say year, um, kind of changing our mentality of like, if we're going to really truly do what we always talk about and that's taking care of our own, um, that's what we always want to do. We've said, Hey, we want to be the best for our team and do this. We got to really be good business people and look after how we're actually paying everybody. And, um, I think those are the biggest things I've learned and, and the changes that underbelly has made over the last Man, five years has been wild for sure. Yeah, I maybe maybe talk a little bit about what the difference is between running a restaurant and running a business because because I do think that's I I I I do think that's an important distinction that maybe people don't think about. For sure. So, and I'm still learning it as we talk. Is I know I go in every single day and I write a prep list and I organize my cooks. I know what's on my stations. I I change menu items and I can have a conversation with our dishwashers, our servers and that kind of stuff. And that's really important. That's the day-to-day operations. Those are so great. But what really matters in these businesses, especially now with all the changes is how many people are actually working? How much are you paying those people? Is it, do you need everybody there? And is everybody working as hard as they need to be working? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the thing is if we can get less people and pay them more money, they're actually going to be better off. And that's kind of what I really am focusing on is 
I don't know if you know this, but Underbelly Hospitality has recently every single full-time employee we pay their their uh, insurance, um, and by doing that, we really feel like we're changing people's lives. We're getting people an opportunity to have security, which we've never had in this industry. It's really, really hard to go paycheck to paycheck. And then, oh my goodness, something happens to you. You don't have insurance and you're kind of SOL, right? So this is the, the way we want to start running these businesses isn't really just to line all everybody's pockets. It's to start taking care of our employees because right now we see the, the $15 an hour thing is you know, there's a couple other states that have to pay everybody $15 an hour. I think it's coming. And if we're not smart, we're not, we're not going to be behind the eight ball and we're not going to have any businesses for anybody to work at. So the business part's crazy. It's definitely, I probably shouldn't say this because Nina will hear this. It's definitely not as fun as making a dish, right? <laughs> That's why you got her, right? Like you could, you could focus on the fun stuff and she gets to do the, the business stuff. Um, she's definitely loves to be involved in, in the fun part too, but she's so much better than I am and will ever be at the business side of it. And having a mentor like her on this side, Eric is something I never thought I needed. And now it's so cool to have somebody like that who is actually pushing me in another, a way to be better. You know, I think Chris will always push me to be a better chef. And now I've got Nina to push me to be a better business person. It's really cool. Well, let's talk about wild oats. I mean, you, you had, it seems to me, a pretty good gig going as the culinary director for Underbelly Hospitality. What made you want to step up and be like, I have an idea for a restaurant and I want to be responsible for developing it? So I think a lot of chefs have the dream of opening their own restaurant. And I know that I did. I, I really had the dream of like, hey, can I make an idea come to life and, and really go the whole way on it? And and I've never had that opportunity. One fifth, you know, we, we had a lot of crazy ideas that we got to, to do and execute, but nothing from the ground up and nothing, just an idea. And um, the fact that I've traveled a lot in my life and, and worked at a bunch of different places and always come back home to Texas has meant a lot to me. Texas, Texas is my home. And uh, I feel like digging a little deeper into where all this food comes from is really, really fun. And, and I just love the idea of getting to do food that I love and I find comfortable. And, and the, the fact that it's a little bit more family friendly than we've ever done in any of our concepts is really neat to me. I've, I, I always felt like I would never bring my kids into Georgia James there. I, I know I, there's tons of people that do, I just feel like my kids are too reckless to bring in there. <laughs> it's probably my own fault. But like Wild Oats makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel happy that I have a place that my kiddos will come and my friends will come. And just it's a really unbelievable experience to get to see something from the ground up, get brought in an idea that we had two years ago is now a real working, running restaurant. It makes you feel really special. Yeah. So kind of how would, how do you describe the food and, and how did you develop the menu? So I think the food is just very well executed comfort food um, is what I want it to be is, is um, when we look at the menu, it should, should read pretty much everyone should know what's on that menu. They should feel comfortable and see it. But when the stuff comes out, I, I really want it to be executed on another level of just going down to the, 
to, you know, the, the corner store and getting, you know, a chicken fried steak or, um, and in the same sense, paying a little bit of homage to some people who have made a big difference in Texas, like the Tootsie's pork steak that we have on the menu. It's never going to be as good as she does it, but hopefully we're introducing some different people to um, that type of cut of meat. And maybe no one's heard of Tootsie's and now, now we're, we've got somebody driving out to snows to do it. It's, I think this is the way that Chris was uh, the underbelly of the, the Houston food scene. I feel like we're scratching a little bit of the surface of the Texas food scene, but hopefully introducing a whole group of people to some of the stuff they've never seen. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, Tootsie was, Tootsie was in an episode of chef's table on Netflix and hundreds of people start lining up at snows every Saturday at like five in the morning. So I think think she doesn't need me. She she doesn't (laughs) need you, but, but I think it's a nice, I think it's smart to pay homage to her and to acknowledge her role in the development of, Modern Texas cooking, I, I I think that's really cool. Yeah, but what are what are some of the other dishes on that menu that that you're particularly proud of? Because I I mean, we we talked about, you know, when when I interviewed you about this restaurant, I mean, you talked about the chicken fried steak and, and all of the research that you did, and and it was such a good story, and I I didn't really, I didn't really have room to include all the details in the article because, but but this is a better format for that, so. So maybe just tell me that story again, because I think I think people will really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, reading about all where chicken fried steak came from, I think it's such a cool story is that it's the Vaqueros who used to drive cattle from Bandera, Texas to Kansas. And along that route, there's not any trees. It's all spruce trees. And um, you would never cook on spruce. It's stinky and too much smoke. And so the Vaqueros would actually save the dehydrated buffalo chips or cow manure and that's what they actually would light their fires and heat with and stay warm but again you would never just straight throw a steak over that so they would save their bacon grease or their salt pork grease from their breakfast cook and uh, they would fry their steaks in it and then introduce the german population in the uh, mid to late 1800s into texas and you have a dish that is 100 percent born in texas and could only be in texas by some cultures meeting each other and uh, they introduced the schnitzel. And so they would fry the, the steak in a breaded uh, situation and then in the bacon grease. So at Wild Oats, we pay a little homage to that by uh, it's topped with a little bit of bacon. It has a bacon jalapeno gravy. Um, and then the schnitzel part is the breading. So kind of a cool deep dive in, uh, into where we got chicken fried steaks. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know, you know, you've done that, with all the dishes, but I will say having, having been in for brunch, I thought brunch was super fun. I love that it's a buffet. I love that it, it's a funny thing. I got a, I got a DM from somebody on Instagram that was like, you know, I don't know about spending 55 bucks when I don't know what's going to be on the menu, but I I think people just have to like, you're sort of counting on them to trust you a little bit. Like you're going to give people their money's worth. 100%. And I think we've done four brunches and I think, it's turned out to be all of our favorite day of the week so far. Cause it is, it's, it's a way for us to step away from our normal stuff and really show, I want to show tons of value. I think it's, it's a really neat thing. There's not a lot of um, restaurants or people willing to, to do those buffets anymore. Cause it is, it's, it's risky for the restaurants. Cause you're, you're banking on 
um, people to show up and, and, and if you prep all that food and not everybody shows up, everybody's in trouble, um, in the restaurants, but man, I, I'll tell you, I, I think it's one of the funnest services we've had in a long time. And then our ridiculously awesome grill is, uh, is adds to how cool we can do for brunch. So every week for brunch, we've tried to highlight something crazy off of that, off of that grill. So the first week we did a whole lamb. The next week we did a whole pig. Uh, the last, the week before that, we did a whole prime prime ribs hung up. And then this last week we did snappers that were hung up over the top of it. And then this coming up week, we're giving a little, little love back to uh, old school underbelly. So I'm going to hang some goats that we're going to get. And then I'm going to do uh, goat and dumplings off of the pulled goat. Nice. Yeah, I, I will say I I was very happy to eat roast pig and shrimp cocktail on the brunch menu at Wild Oats. And then the week after you had whole prime rib and crawfish. And then I got a little jealous of all the people that were there. Like, oh, I should have gone. I should have gone that week instead of the week that I went. And I hope that's what we're doing. I'm, I hope we're building a little thing where people are like, well, we went once. We don't have to go back again. I hope that's not the case. We're, we're going to do live music um, quite often out there, which I think if the weather's great, there's probably not a whole lot of other be- better places to be sitting is on that patio, listening to live music and eating just a cool array of Texas buffet food. Well, yeah. And, and since you mentioned it, uh, maybe just go into a little more detail about that grill because it's, it's an impressive piece of equipment with quite a pedigree. Yeah, so Grilly Nelson is the grill's name. Um, it was it's about a week after we talked about doing this crazy restaurant. Um, we were sitting with one of Chris's friends, and Chris has way cooler friends than I do. So the guy we were sitting with was Aaron Franklin, and we were talking about what Wild Oats would be and what we wanted to do with it. And uh, Aaron said, well, so you want to have an open fire grill? And I said, yeah. And he said, what, what do you want to do? And I said, I kind of want to tell – I kind of want to cook all over Texas on one grill. So we have this huge fire, two uh, fire bins that uh, burn barrels, if you will, that have like an inferno fire sitting out the top. And to me, that's kind of West Texas campfire cooking. Um, Then it's sitting on a grate and the grates then let the coals drop down. You scoop the coals and scoop it into this big center section that, uh, is kind of central Texas hill country cooking with coal fire. Um, and then we hang, like we were just talking about, we hang chickens that are up there for our everyday menu. And then we're doing specials and stuff for brunch hung up there. And that's kind of like the East Texas smoke. Um, and Aaron looked at me and was like, dude, I want to build it. And we were like, what? <laughs> he was like, can I build it? And we're like, man, that would be so cool. So Aaron and his head barbecue maker or guy named Jared, um, we got together and he drew it on a napkin and, uh, here we are. And it's pretty close to what he drew on the napkin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, what's your, what's your vision? I mean, I know you've been open for about a month now. Like, how do you, you know, how do you want to see yourself maybe at the six month mark or, or over the course of the first year? Cause there's, there's so much happening at the farmer's market in terms of, you know, new additions, like your it might feel a little bit lonely now, but it's not going to be that way for too much longer. Yeah. I, I know that we're, we're a little bit on an Island up there right now, but I, I love 
that were already starting to be a part of the community in that farmer's market. Um, it's a really fun market. There's endless amounts of stuff that we're learning and growing and I'm embarrassed that my Spanish isn't better, but it's, uh, it's super fun to walk that market. And I find new stuff every time we go through it to, uh, to try to test out. And I feel like the next couple months are, are really about growing our menu. And I've said to, to everybody that's up there, I don't want to change anything on the menu unless something that goes on is better. So hopefully every single menu item that goes on is better than the last. And we're just growing it. And I mean, honestly, I want it to be a fun experience for cooks, for chefs, for waiters, um, bartenders. It's a good learning experience, but it's also, I hope it's fun for guests to come in. That's the biggest, most important part is we're trying to build a fun, fun atmosphere out there while, while at the same time putting out some great food. So what's your, what's your assessment about how it's going? Because I, I can't like, I, I feel like that market's a, an exciting location, but I'm not sure, you know, you're, you're a little bit off the street. Like, you know, you've got, you've got the, you know, certainly a vibrant PR machine to, to promote what you're doing, but I, uh, I don't know. Is it, are you, are you satisfied with kind of the, the level of business that you're doing so far or, or are you eager to like, you know, run a little faster? Oh, I think everybody would say I'd love to do a billion people every single day. I, I think it'll come. I think it's actually a great experience for us to kind of dial in what we're doing. Um, when you open up a restaurant, um, a lot of times that's as busy as you get. And then you see it kind of tinker down. I think that this, I hope that this restaurant only gets busier. Um, I think that we have the opportunity to really grow um, what we're doing with the food. But also, like you said, that that area hopefully only keeps growing and more people get up there and we get busier and busier and busier. So, you know, I think the, the one other thing that, you know, we were sort of talking about is that you, you, you are still the, the culinary director for uh, Underbelly and you guys have a couple of big openings coming up. You're going to move Georgia James into yeah. its new home at Regent Square. And then you got Pastore and Italian American restaurant kind of what's your future? I mean, do you, do you anticipate kind of being based at wild oats? Are you going to, are you going to jump in on these openings? Like, like what is I'm definitely uh, jumping in on the openings and I can't wait to get everything um, rolling. But um, yeah, I think the idea with this is wild oats will be my, uh, my home base. Nina makes fun of me to tell me to make sure I'm getting out of the kitchen and getting into the, some of the other stuff. But I, I said, I need to have at least a couple of days a week where I'm getting to be, in the kitchen and in with the team and, and kind of growing, uh, wild oats or wherever that may be. Um, and, uh, but yeah, the openings are going to be huge. Um, Greg Peters, the, um, the chef over at Georgia James is doing a good job holding down the fort there at, um, at 1658 Westheimer, which is where we're at the old one fifth building, which is now George James. And that opening is going to come. I wish I had a date sooner rather than later, I think. Um, and that's going to be uh, May was the last date they told me sometime in May. I think. That sounds good to me. <laughs> my, my birthday's in May. So that would suit me just fine. Oh, perfect. We'll do an opening. I mean, that from what I, I can tell and, and the design and everything's so fitting, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be, we've got a, uh, a lot of stuff going on. That's going to make that place even better. And, and I, I love George James. It's, that was our first, thing that I got to do with Chris was one fist steak. And I think, um, 
how we've grown that and, and what Greg has done over the last couple of years to add to, to the execution of that is, is amazing. And then Pastore is, I have had the opportunity to get to work with Chris Davies over the last couple of months. He's been up at wild oats. Um, I know he was at Uchi for three and a half, four years. I think we are all in for a really big treat with Chris Davies. I cannot wait to see what he does. Um, he's an extremely talented guy. Uh, great pedigree, really, 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 um, technically sound but i think one of the things we're learning is he's also a great guy and uh that's one thing i'm excited about is is he's a very 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 thoughtful um treats his staff really well and uh i can't wait to see what we do over there that's going to be a super fun opening yeah i'm i it would not have occurred to me that a guy who ran uchi for three plus years would know much about italian american food but you know, I mean, I, I just enjoy all that stuff, spaghetti and meatballs and lasagna and chicken parm. And so I, I'm in for all of that. Um, we, we sat and had a conversation with uh, Mr. Caraba, Johnny Caraba, and uh, had a little conversation. And, and I'll, I want uh, Chris Davies to jump on at some point and tell you a lot of what he said. But man, listening to those two talk back and forth was amazing. It was uh I don't, I don't know if all of Houston knows how special Johnny Carabas is. Man, that guy is really, really special. I was shocked at how nice, how um, open to sharing information and what a great restaurants he has and what a great businessman he is. I mean, gosh, what a, what a cool experience that was. But to sit and listen to him and Chris get to talk about like a little bit of where Italian American food came from and where it's going was, was really cool. So I think, I think we're on, on to something really special with Pastor and and uh, I I don't think there's anybody else I could imagine running it besides Davies. It's going to be really cool. Well, let me say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something I haven't asked you about that you want to discuss? Um, you know, I think the the restaurant scene in in Houston is uh, is exploding. We we uh, before we got on the air, we kind of said that a little bit about how crazy and exciting all of the Houston um, food scenes been over the last couple of months, but I think it's, I haven't watched top chef a lot over the last couple of years, but the fact that it's in Houston has been made me really realize like what a special chef community that we have. And, and sometimes I, I kind of get lost in, in the, uh, in the world of that we're living in and, and focusing in on just what we're doing, but, Man, I feel really special, really fortunate to be a part of the Houston food community. A lot of other towns that I've lived in talk about how everybody takes care of each other. And, oh, yeah, we want to see this person successful. And then you turn the corner and everybody's talking bad about everybody. But I feel like Houston is really special. And, and just to be a part of this, this community is really amazing. And I know you're a big part of it, Eric. And I just want to say, uh, you know, thanks for thanks for all you do for the, the community. And hopefully over the next couple of years, we just get bigger and bigger and better. Yeah, I think I think you're right in the sense that Top Chef provides an incredible opportunity to showcase the city, and you know we the first couple episodes have aired and, and it's it hasn't felt very Houston. I mean, certainly watching them, the contestants like make awful queso was kind of fun, but uh, you know we got this we've got an episode premiering uh, Thursday night that involves a lot of the international chefs. Yeah, and. 
I just think that's that's when it's really going to start to click for people like what makes Houston so special. And and so, yeah, I hope it brings a ton of attention to the city and and I can't wait to to see how the season plays out and how, you know, certainly how Evelyn Garcia does and everyone else. But yeah, I think I think it's an exciting time for sure. And then I I know this this probably doesn't get out, but Rick Flair. Woo! If he's out there, if this there, there's a way we can get any messages to Ric Flair, he's still invited to our restaurants, even though I, I changed my Instagram handle from Nick Flair to Nikki Mays, which we're going to be doing some, uh, you know, some big info commercial shout outs over the next couple months. But, you know, I worked really hard. I don't know if you know this, Eric, but probably five years of hard work tagging Ric Flair in every single post that I ever did. And he never came into the restaurants. So. I think this is my final, final farewell to Ric Flair. Um. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get, you gotta get, you gotta get someone who's like connected in the, the wrestling world somehow to to be your advocate. To, to well, Booker T is a Houston, a Houston, uh, Houston wrestler here in in uh, in Houston. I should have reached out to Booker T. <laughs> right, I, I I think that's it. That's what you should do. Well, no, just. Again, just really fortunate to be a part of this community and, and really was honored that you uh, that I got to come on the show today, man. Pumped up. Well, all right. Before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. I'm ready. Nick Fine, what is your favorite ingredient? It's supposed to be fast. I'll go beef. Okay. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Garth Brooks at the Summit. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Biggio. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, Whataburger Patty Mount. And then finally, what is the recently opened Houston restaurant that you are dying to try but haven't made it to yet because you're super busy? All of them. I know that's an easy layup, but I know I got I I've, I've got I've got an easy out. I've got got kiddos when i get off work i go home and spend time with the kiddos so anything besides horrible kids food that uh we have to go and get for them yeah we need <laughs> me and my wife need to come down and try all the spots that have opened up recently so um i've got a list for sure all right uh give me the website for wild oats uh wild and then uh underbellyhospitality.com is the big one you can get all the ones at underbellyhospitality.com um, all right, Nick, thanks so much. Man, thank you, Eric. Appreciate you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.